Our scripture reading today comes from John 3. If you're willing and able, please stand as I read verses 1 through 15. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, I want to say hi to uh, everyone here on campus. Great to have you here with us. Those of you watching online uh, as well, wherever you're watching from in Orlando and around the world, I know that it's not just Orlando you're joining us from today, so I want to say hi to you. Um, And if you're new with us, whether here on campus or online, um, I'm really glad that you're here. Uh, We are this next year looking at the life of Jesus and these encounters that people had with this man, this first century rabbi. This will be the focus of all that we're looking toward this next year, these encounters with Jesus. And and today we actually begin a new series uh, looking at these encounters and what we've called these unlikely followers. Uh, In the life of Jesus and the people that encountered him, uh, it it was not just one type of person that encountered Jesus. So we we see religious skeptics that encountered Jesus. Uh, We see uh, religious elites that encountered Jesus. Uh, We see the most vulnerable of society having an encounter with Jesus. And we see even the most powerful of society encounter Jesus. These unlikely followers uh, that had these radical transformations and encounters with this first century rabbi. Our passage today that was just read details the encounter that Jesus had with this man named Nicodemus. 
Nicodemus was part of the religious elites of the time. He was, what we learned from this passage, a Pharisee, part of the Sanhedrin, which simply means council. It was the 70 elders plus the high priests who, who ruled over the affairs of Israel. Uh, in fact, they, they carried out the affairs of Israel, especially at this time under Roman rule. So it is clear from this passage, Nicodemus comes on behalf of the religious elites uh, to this man named Jesus. And what we learn from this passage is about the reality of the kingdom of God and how it comes to those who are born again. So this morning we have three things we must consider. Uh, What is this reality? The reality of being born again, uh, the issue for us all, and the place we must look to be born again. So uh, the reality of being born again, the the issue for us all, and the place we must look to be born again. So first, uh, let's look at the reality of being born again. And for some of you, the second I say the words born again Christian, uh, your spine begins to have shivers. Uh, It conjures up uh, images of a person you may have encountered. Uh, You may be a a person who has issues with Christianity. And the the phrase born again Christian has uh, negative connotations for you because in our modern culture, uh, it's taken on its own language, this born again Christian. And and really what it goes back to is about 40 years ago, uh, Jimmy Carter was running for president. And he was asked about his religious affiliation. He said, I am a, what, born again Christian. And it began to get into the water system of our culture. It began to flow downstream. And so this phrase has developed some baggage uh, for our day and our time. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of the name Herb Cain. Uh, Herb Cain was a Pulitzer Prize winning columnist. Uh, from San Francisco. And and these were Herb Cain's thoughts when the words born again Christian came to his mind. This is what he said. Uh, The trouble with born again Christians is that they are an even bigger pain the second time around. (laughs) Uh, Cain obviously has some... (laughs) very negative opinions of born again Christians. Maybe uh, you're here, maybe you're watching online, you identify with this this sentiment. Uh, But what I'd ask this morning, if that is you, as best as you're able, I ask you just to lay aside that baggage uh, to listen to what Jesus has to say to us. Um, Because what what we see in our culture when people talk about this idea of born again Christian, uh, I think there are two main ideas that I hear at least people are saying. That they'll say things like born again Christian means people who can't get their life together. Uh, they're, they're very broken people, very emotional people. Um, those are the people that need to be born again. That's what they're talking about. And the second thing you hear is uh, born again people, they, they have this religious structure to their life, this, this moral authority to their life. That, that's the other definition we hear. But um, what we'll see from this passage is Jesus actually has a very different idea. And it happens with this encounter with Nicodemus. There, there really are three aspects to the reality of being born again. Uh, it's serious. It's instant. And it is mysterious. And so where do we see that? Well, Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he acknowledges that he is sent from God. He, he says, you are a rabbi. And as Pastor Mark shared with us a couple weeks ago, when rabbis interacted with someone, when they had a conversation with them, they usually answered questions with questions. Why do you call me a rabbi? How, how do you know I'm sent from God? But in this passage, you see the seriousness of what is taking place because Jesus doesn't begin with a question. He cuts right to the issue. This is what he says in verse three. Jesus' response. Truly, truly, I say to you, 
unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus begins this conversation with Nicodemus by simply cutting to the chase. Notice the emphasis uh, that Jesus used. He says, truly, truly, uh, it, literally it's amen. And in this culture, in this time period, how, how you made an emphasis is you would use repetition. Truly, truly, amen, amen. This is the reality of what he's saying. Three times, actually, in this passage, Jesus uses that phrase, truly, truly. He, he's, he's saying to Nicodemus, listen up. Pay, pay attention. This, this could save your life. There's a seriousness to it. And, and what we have to see here is what Jesus is saying about being born again puts our modern understanding, our modern definition of being born again on its head. Uh, notice who Nicodemus is. He's the spiritual elite. He's a scholar. He is uh, very successful in his position. Uh, he is one of the elders of Israel. Uh, so a very rational person. I mean, he serves on the Jewish Supreme Court. We, we, we see someone here farthest thing from the accusation that they are overly emotional people. He, he's the farthest thing from a deeply broken person. But Jesus tells him, Nicodemus, you, yes, you, you must be born again. Jesus is telling Nicodemus, despite your pedigree, despite your resume, despite all these accomplishments that you have, you have missed the one thing that you need. Another place we see Jesus putting this modern idea of born again on its head is uh, Nicodemus, see, you see in this passage, he begins to struggle with what Jesus is talking about, the reality of being born again. And, and this is what Jesus' response to him is later in verse 10. Jesus says this, um, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. Uh, no, notice that Jesus refers to him as a teacher of Israel. Uh, it's very apparent that Nicodemus had a religious authority, very clear that he had this moral religious structure to his life that was visible to others. But Jesus once again tells Nicodemus, you've missed it. You've, you've missed it. You must be born again. Despite his seat at the Sanhedrin, despite his moral authority, despite his religious life, which was his identity, Jesus informs Nicodemus that he's out. You see, what I find with our modern understanding of born again and Jesus' understanding of born again are completely different. Jesus tells Nicodemus, you think you are in, but you are out. You see, I think that Jesus is really putting his pulse on the seriousness of this reality. What we find throughout the Bible, particularly in encounters with Jesus, is that religious people think they're in. This is Nicodemus's issue. Uh, Pharisees, like Nicodemus, uh, believed that they were going to be part of God's great world, God's new kingdom that was going to come at some point in time. They, they believed, we are in, we're, we're part of the good people, we're on the good side. They thought they were in. But religious people thought they were in because of their performance, their moral authority, their moral conduct. But Jesus warns you, you think you're in, but you are actually out. What we find over and over in the Gospels is that Christianity is really about being born again. It comes to those who think they are out, usually. It's the people who think that they actually uh, have no shot of getting in that are actually the ones that are in. It's the people who say to Jesus, I have no merit. 
There's nothing in my hands. From the crooks to the prostitutes, to the sick, to the oppressed, to those who made it to the top to realize it was just an absolute illusion. Those who look at their life and determine they have no merit in themselves, but look to Jesus. Those are the ones who are in. Next, we see that this reality of being born again is instant. Now, where do we see that? Well, Nicodemus is absolutely confused to the reality of being born again because Jesus begins talking about this new birth. He, he says to Jesus, how can a man, how can a man be born again when he's old? What he's essentially saying is, how can I be born again? And Jesus says in verse five, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, you may be confused, but Nicodemus of all people should not have been confused by this illusion, this echo that Jesus is giving. Nicodemus, a scholar of the Hebrew Bible, should have known this great scene that Jesus was alluding to from the book of Ezekiel. This is what it says. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. Jesus is telling Nicodemus that the reality that you are longing for is available only in me. Do you want that? And what we see from the reality of being born is that it is instantaneous. Uh, for those of you who've had the great experience and the miracle of being there when a child is being born into this world, there is nothing like it. When your child is born, there are many questions that fill your minds. Is our baby okay? Is the baby breathing? Did I actually just birth a human being? Questions that fill our minds. But no one asks, was the baby born? You don't have to worry about answering that question. Was the baby born? Because the baby will tell you. How does the baby tell you? Crying. Crying crying that goes on and on and on crying that essentially is saying to you, happy to be here, happy to be with you, but buckle up. The life you once knew is now over. That's what those beautiful cries are telling you. New birth happens in an instant and its effects ripple out. It happens in a moment. Let me get more specific about this. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, David Martin Lloyd-Jones was a Welsh preacher, preacher from the 20th century. And he had a question that he would ask people in his congregation when he would go for a pastoral visit. And it was a simple question. The question was, are you a Christian? But Lloyd-Jones was amazed by the answers that he received back. Uh, the answers he usually heard were, uh, I'm trying, or I hope so. And upon hearing these responses, Lloyd-Jones would simply say, I'm sorry, but I'm not sure you understand what it means to be a Christian. You see, Lloyd-Jones is essentially saying there is a line that you must cross. The reality of being born happens in an instant. You're either a Christian or you're not. This is actually the reality we see throughout the New Testament. 
In the book of Colossians, uh, the apostle Paul is writing to this church and this is what he says. God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son and whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Something happened. Once you were in darkness and now you're not. You're born again in an instant. There's this other place where the apostle Paul writes and he, he says these words, whoever is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone. The new is trying. The new is hoping. No, that's the old is gone. The new has come. There's a line. Has this happened to you? The last aspect of the reality of being born again is that it is mysterious. There's no way around it. Jesus gets at this in verse eight. He says this, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Jesus tells us that the reality of being born again happens outside of you. It is a power that works like the wind. It blows where it wishes. You can't control it. Now, the second I say that, someone's probably thinking, oh, okay, great. I don't have to do anything. I can just let God do everything. Well, yes, that is true. And no, that is not true. You see, in the previous verse, the very previous verse, Jesus pleads with Nicodemus. He says, you must be born again. You must be born again. Jesus is talking about Nicodemus's responsibility. And in the very end of this passage, verse 15, he says, you must believe in him. Is God responsible for us being born again? Are we responsible? The answer is yes. It's mysterious. And the sooner we get comfortable with not being able to solve all the realities of the Bible, and the sooner we're able to surrender our very small human capacity to God, whose hands are bigger than we could possibly imagine, the better we will be. I'll say it this way. When I was 15, I had such a firm grasp on life, on who I was, on who I was going to be, on reality, such wisdom, such insight, uh, until I turned 25. When I could look back at my 15 year old self and say, what a punk. You don't know anything about life. I know so much now that I'm 25. Until I was 35. You get where I'm going with this. Just wait 10 more years from wherever you are right now. And you will look back and say, I did not know as much as I thought I knew. Now extrapolate that to a being who is eternal. Being born again is mysterious. We have to surrender to this mystery that we struggle sometimes, frankly, to understand. Who is responsible for me being born again? Is it God or is it me? The answer is yes. Yes. So we see 
the phrase born again Christian that is woven into our modern reality from Jesus' perspective is a redundancy of words. Jesus says the, the only one who is a Christian is one who has been born again. The, the, the only people who are Christians are the people who have come to be born again. But how, despite the reality of being born again, despite Jesus is pleading with Nicodemus, how do we miss out? Well, that brings us to the second thing we must consider, and that is the issue for us all. In this passage, despite Nicodemus's social standing, despite his success, despite his religious acumen, Nicodemus struggles to understand the reality of being born again and how to find it. And sadly, his issue is our issue. We see this in this passage here. We see this actually in verse nine. Nicodemus says this. How can these things be? His response to Jesus. How can these things be? Jesus has explained to him the reality of being born again, but Nicodemus still doesn't get it. What happens for many of us is that we want spiritual direction to fit into our understanding, into our way of viewing the world, into what we think spiritual reality should look like. We want control. And what I find in my own life is the same predicament. Life will go better, I think, when all of my questions are answered exactly as how I think they should be answered. Uh, when I determine my future, when I am in control, or to use a more traditional image, when I am on the throne. And whether we are conscious of this or not, we live our lives, sadly, as the kings of our own domain, and we live by the phrase, I'm okay, and I know the way. A little over 10 years ago, uh, I actually know about the exact date. It was the end of May of 2010. Uh, Rachel and I had just moved back to Houston, Texas after finishing seminary. And we were planning a family trip to go to a campground with Rachel's family. And Rachel, myself, Rachel's sister, and uh, Rachel's sister's husband are, were in our car heading out to this campground. And the iPhone at this point had been out for three years, but Rachel and I uh, had just purchased our very first iPhones a couple months before this. And so we're using this iPhone uh, to navigate us where we needed to go. And at this time, if you, if you remember back in these days, how amazing and impressed you were with the navigation of the iPhone, you would sit and you would talk to people and you would say, listen, that blue dot right there moving, that's us. Do you remember those days? Listen, listen that, that blue dot right there on the map, that is us. And we, we also lived in this season with the iPhone that we, we knew that it would take us where we needed to go. And so we, we, we were following our directions. Um, we're driving along and we noticed that the directions have taken us off the main road and on to a gravel dirt road, which we expected. We were heading to a campground. Uh, but we noticed that this gravel dirt road uh, ultimately fed in and led to what looked like someone's gravel driveway. But we continued until we pulled up on this house with a farm. And there's no more road. 
the road ends at this person's house in this farm, but our iPhone directions, I literally, I, I kid you not, our iPhone directions are telling us to drive through this person's farm with these animals because there's a road on the other side that's going to take us to where we need to go. Now, in 2020, we have all experienced failed navigating experiences on our iPhones or other devices. We're used to it. But in 2010, we thought this device was infallible. I mean, it's telling you where to go. There's, this is the only way. And so there we were in this car, the four of us arguing back and forth. I kid you not about whether we were actually going to drive across this field because the iPhone told us to. At some point, I said to the people in the car, hey guys, there's a lot of secluded land on this farm and a lot of places where this farmer could bury us. <laughs> Let's leave now before we get shot. Of course, we went back to the main road and we figured out that the iPhone can reroute you. But what I was amazed was how much we would stick to our own way of thinking despite the massive circumstances telling us otherwise. I'm okay. And I know the way. In the Old Testament, God hears the cries of his people, their voice of affliction, and their screams for justice. Uh, he appears to Moses at the burning bush, and he tells him, go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. But Pharaoh is the quintessential story of where there is the wrong king on the throne of your life. God brings judgment, plagues on Pharaoh, on Egypt. And sadly, Pharaoh continues to say, I'm okay and I know the way. Pharaoh continues this refrain until it led him into the Red Sea after the Israelites, where he was led wrongly not to a farm field, but to the bottom of the sea. Now, someone's probably thinking, well, of course, that's Pharaoh. I mean, that's the way he would live. He's a pagan and he worshiped all the wrong gods. He lived for himself. I live for God. I know the way. Well, this brings us back to our passage in John. Uh, Jesus ends our section telling Nicodemus not about Pharaoh's issues of wanting his own way, but Israel's issues. It's not just the irreligious who have an issue. It is the religious. It's an issue for us all. You see, when Jesus begins to talk about the serpent in the wilderness in verse 14, He's referencing a scene in the wilderness where the people of Israel essentially said, I'm okay, and I know the way. This is what we read in Numbers 21. From Mount Or, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. What are people saying? <laughs> They're saying the same thing as Nicodemus when he said, how can these things be? How can these things be? Who is this God? Why is he doing this? What does he know? Why did he bring us here? Why did he allow this to happen? I'm okay. And I for sure know the way. 
The issue of Pharaoh and Nicodemus is the issue for us all. And what we find is when we sit on the throne and try to rule our lives, something is off. Things begin to unravel. We feel it. This is actually what we read in the next verse in Numbers. It says this. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people so that many of Israel died. God sends snakes. I hate snakes. Frankly, more than I hate cats. Uh, He sends snakes as judgment for wanting to rule our own lives. Some people died and others were afflicted with the bite. You see, when we try to live life on our own terms, by our own understanding, longing for our own way, we will feel the pain in our body. We will feel the effects of living on our own terms. We'll be driven to excessive worry, fear, despair, darkness. We will feel the death working through our veins. This is what happens when we are the masters of our own universe. I'm okay. I'm okay. I know the way. We all know this. Even Hollywood director Woody Allen, the religious skeptic, knows the reality of poison in the veins. He knows the afflictions that come to those who say, I know the way. This is what, this is what Allen says. If you want to make God laugh, tell him about your plans. If you want to make God laugh, tell him about your plans. You see, the issue for us all is we believe we know the way. We want to be kings of our own lives, but we've been afflicted by our choices. We felt the poison. We feel our world unraveling. So the question is, this is how we miss out on the reality. This is the issue. How will we ever get this invitation that Jesus is offering Nicodemus? How will we ever be healed if we can feel the poison working in our veins? Well, the best thing for us to do is actually what these snake-bitten people did in numbers. They came to the end of themselves. And they looked. They looked. Where did they look? Well, that's the final thing we must consider. The place we must look to be born again. In our story in Numbers, uh, the people are crying out for healing, for God to save them. And he instructs Moses to build this bronze serpent, this bronze snake. And he tells anyone who's been afflicted, anyone who has sinned, anyone who has trusted in their own way and who wants to be saved, who wants to be healed, to look up at this bronze serpent in the wilderness. And what we see throughout the Bible is the experience of the people here is really the experience of all people. The reality of being born again is being saved by faith. They look up to how God will save them, how he will set them free. You see, this is the message of the Bible. God tells Moses, build the bronze serpent and whoever looks up will be saved. God doesn't say for those who get their life figured out first. Uh, For those who have a certain amount of faith, those are the ones who get healed. Those are the ones who are delivered. He just tells them to look up, look up and you will be saved. You will be born again. 
this is the story of the Bible that no other worldview, no other philosophy, no other religion can give you, it can offer you. It is the only one that can save you because it does not depend on you at all. What do I mean? Well, you have to imagine this scene in the wilderness. Moses comes out. He tells the people, do not fear. I know there's poison in your veins. You're not, you're going to die, but look up at this bronze serpent and you will be healed. You will be saved. And you have to imagine the scene and the responses. There's probably some in this, this crowd, very strong in their faith, uh, confident in what God can do, confident that God would save them. They hear this invitation from Moses and they say to themselves, Hey, everybody, God's got us. God's going to set us free. God's going to save us. They look up at the bronze serpent healed. But there's another group there. They are stressed out of their minds. They are overwhelmed. They are riddled with fear. They are filled with all kinds of doubts. They're thinking, Moses has led us out into the wilderness and now he's grasping for straws and I'm going to die right here on this sand. They're filled with fear. They're filled with doubts. Their faith feels thimbleful. But they look up, healed. Why is that? Two very different groups of people with two very different postures, both of them delivered. Why is that? Well, that's what separates Christianity from every other religion and every other way of viewing the world. The way you encounter the reality of being born again is not about the amount of your faith. It's about the object of your faith. Have you looked up? Have you looked up? Now, you may be wondering... How do I get my hands on one of these bronze serpents? Is is that something I can buy on eBay? Well, the answer to your question is no, you can't. Um, See, what we find out is in 2 Kings chapter 18, uh, King Hezekiah actually destroyed this bronze serpent. Uh, In the Hebrew, it's katat. He pulverized it. I mean, he, he, he literally crushed it to the point that there was no resemblance to the reality of what this artifact was previously in the wilderness. Why would he do this? Well, all commentators agree Hezekiah was a good king. And he saw that the people of Israel, because of the salvation that happened in the wilderness, began to worship this artifact. Then you see what the people did that... It was just another form of control. It's just another form of, of how I can get my hands something so I know I'll be okay. Everything will be okay if I get my hands on that. So Hezekiah pulverized it. He destroyed it. But the question remains for us, how will we ever be delivered if it is gone? Where will we look? Well, what Hezekiah knew that Moses knew is that this bronze serpent in the wilderness was just a type pointing true the true bronze serpent who would come to whom everyone must look to. It's pointing to the ultimate bronze serpent that can save you. You see, this is what Jesus is getting at as he finished this conversation with Nicodemus. This is what we read in John. And as Moses was lifted up, 
As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus tells us he must be lifted up. He's telling us about the place we must look if we want to be saved. If you want to experience the reality of being born again, we have to look up to him. You see, Jesus is the ultimate bronze serpent who was lifted up on the cross. He is the ultimate bronze serpent because he didn't just come to save you from physical death like Moses, but he came to save you from eternal death. You see, the cross that Jesus, he's talking about how on the cross, the poison that is in our veins, he took it upon himself. The poison that has caused us such affliction because we have desired and longed for our own way of doing things. Jesus said on the cross, I have dealt with that. No matter the fears that you have this morning, no matter the doubts that you have this morning, no matter the past that you are carrying, no matter if your faith is thimbleful this morning, would you just look up and experience the reality of being born again? Do you see what he is saying? He's saying, I'm the one you must look to. I'm the only one who can save you. I'm the only one who can heal you. And when you look at me, when you believe in me, I will deliver you. Friends, the great news of Christianity is it's never about the amount of your faith. It's about the object of it. Where will we look? There is only one place to look. There's only one person who will set us free. And Jesus says, if you would come to him, he will heal you. He will deliver you. He will set you free. Now, the elephant in the room, the question that you may be asking at the end of this passage is, well, what happened to Nicodemus? What did he decide to do with this invitation? Well, we read later in the gospel of John that Nicodemus cared for Jesus's body and covered him with spices uh, as he was prepared for burial after his death. Uh, This was a way of honoring a special person in this culture. And so commentators agree that Nicodemus was born again. He looked up. He looked up. And he was saved. Have you? Let's pray. Well, Father in heaven, we thank you. (laughs) We thank you. Our salvation is never, ever about the amount of our faith. Thank goodness. It's about the object. It's about the one who was lifted up who took our sin upon himself. Holy Spirit, allow us to experience and enjoy the reality of being born again into the kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said,